Okay, Jonathan and the man, thank you so much for joining me today on the Deep Dive Podcast. We go way back. You know, we've done a lot in the past when it comes to strategy, uh, you know, talking about innovation and just different things like that from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Take me back to your college years when you were coming out and how you got the entrepreneurial bug. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me on this. I've been looking forward to this since we had it planned. Yes. Um, yeah, man. So, you know, I, I like to talk about it in a holistic kind of perspective, right? So I was kind of shy in high school. And so I switched over to a different high school my senior year because I knew the following year I'd be leaving for college. And I wanted to break barriers. I wanted to I wanted to be someone different than I was because I knew I didn't want to be the same shy, keep to myself guy that I was in high school. So I did that and it primed me and got me ready. And then I came to Kennesaw State my freshman year. And um, I went, I was there for four years and uh, loved it. And I joined a fraternity and, and that ended up, you know, at the time it was more of a social uh, reason and so I joined the fraternity and, and then things kind of evolved. And now looking back in hindsight, I've realized it's been uh, a catalyst to being an entrepreneur. I learned team skills. I learned leadership. I learned sales. I learned recruitment. I learned a lot of skills doing that. Well, in my fourth, in my summer after my fourth year of college, uh, I have Crohn's disease and I actually had an extreme flare up. And it caused me to go from 196 pounds to 148 pounds in a month and a half. And wow. yeah, it was insane. And, and my skin started turning different colors. And I was working at a Mexican restaurant trying to make ends meet. And my manager, who um, or the owner of the restaurant, rather, who, who actually is, I'm half Cuban and my mom speaks Spanish. So my mom can visit me sometimes while I work there. And they formed a friendship. Well, my, the owner of the restaurant called my mom once and was like, Hey, uh, Estrella, that's my mom's name. Estrella, your son is either on drugs or he is about to die. You need to come see him. And so my mom came up immediately because my mom's a nurse over at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. So anything like that, she's just like, boom, out the <laughs> So she came and uh, she saw me and she's like, oh my God, like, we got to get you to, you know, to the doctor immediately. Well, I saw the doctor and the doctor freaked out as soon as he saw me skin color changed, weight loss. He's like, oh my God, you're not even, you don't even look like the same person. And they wanted to put me under emergency surgery. And I wasn't healthy enough to have emergency surgery. Um, I had to, I had to have a, a tube up my nose for a week just to uh, put the nutrients in my body wow. to get me to a point where if I had surgery, um, I wouldn't lose too much blood or get an infection. And so I, I got, did that. And then I ended up having the surgery and I was in the hospital for 27 days. Um, and that was interesting for me. And the reason I wanted to tell that story is because the reason that was interesting for me was uh, often people get caught up being the character in their movie and they never take a step back to watch the movie. You get caught in these feedback loops or thought patterns and seldom unless you meditate or have a near death experience or you know go on a recalibrating vacation, um, or something to that effect, you don't get to be taken out of your day-to-day -day patterns, your feedback loops that you get caught in. And this was my first time that I got yanked out of a reality and just watched it seemingly something I thought I was in the center of, uh, or at least a big piece of seemingly go on without me. And it, it really caused me to go into this mindset of analysis and analyze my life and and kind of look back and think, you know, I was this I was this shy kid in high school. I wanted to make an impact in college. I did that. I was recruitment chair of the fraternity. I was in uh, Delta Tau Delta for three years, um, recruited over 90 percent of our fraternity. And so it, it showing me that I could make that jump in that microcosm example showed me that, you know, I was sitting in the hospital bed thinking, well, if I could do it in this in this example, or in this reality, I can do it in the real world. I can create something. I can I can think something into existence and I can act on it until it manifests into a reality. And so that was that was it. You know, I came I came back to school the next semester. Um, uh, so now so that that was the important pivotal part for me. That mm -hmm. was what really showed me 
I, you know, pulled me out of my feedback loop and it showed me there's more to life and that you have the ability to wheel things into existence. Uh, rewinding before I got sick, probably six months or so before, um, my one of my best friends and, and my roommate at the time, Austin Schmidt, we were in a bar, uh, Mazzy's in Kennesaw, and he he called me to go to a football game. And Corbett, if you know me, you know sports are are cool to me, but they're not <laughs> they're not everything to me. Right, right. So so pulling me on a Sunday morning to go watch football or Saturday morning to go watch football isn't necessarily something I ever want to do, but I did it. And um, we went to that game and we went to go watch the Auburn Alabama game. I, I think it was 20, uh, it would have been 2014, 2015, 2013, 2014. And uh, it was the game where Alabama had kicked a field goal during the national championship and missed. And it uh, fell yeah. just short of the, of the end zone. Have, did you watch that game? Corey? I did. did yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Auburn returned it the full length of the field for a touchdown. And while we were in the bar, uh, we were like, yo, this is crazy. Everyone in the bar is going crazy. You know, you see all the highlights on ESPN, but there was, but that was it. And there was like, okay, so if we see that our atmosphere in Kennesaw is going crazy and all we can see of the game is the game that ESPN is, is showing us their camera angles, well, we're missing on a very immersive piece of that, which is what is the atmosphere like at Alabama? What's the atmosphere like at Auburn right now? What's the atmosphere like wherever the game was being played in the tailgate section or in the stands? There was nothing that showed that because you either have your your primary perspective, which is where you're at, or you have the perspective that ESPN gave you. And this was well before Snapchat rolled out their events where, you know, you could click on a football game or a basketball game and watch all the videos, the six second videos and pictures that people were submitting. And I'll explain that technology more um, because that there's some interference over there. And so we ended up doing that and we were like, let's build this into a company. Let's figure this out. Let's see how we can really bring this vision to life of wanting to see the atmosphere of a sporting event. And so that was when uh, Sports Shout started. Right. That's where I and, came in uh, around that time period. That was, yeah. So, so well, kind of, because at that time, then we, uh, then we wanted to finish up school and that's when I got sick. So about four or five months after that, I got sick and Austin was potentially taking a job at ESPN um, and he was finishing up college. And, and then that's, that's, that was really kind of, okay, well, we got to put it on halt. It took a backseat. And then when I came back from college, or I'm sorry, when I came back from being sick and decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that's when everything changed. That's when that's when it that's when it all happened. And you know, I, I moved into an apartment, started picking this up, googling business plan, googling pitch deck. You know, I, I hadn't graduated from college at this point. Um, I, I was barely in the business school, so I'm trying to figure out everything I can do on YouTube University. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and that's just how it was. And uh, finally, you know, Austin and I got a couple opportunities. We met some people. Uh, we had our business plan critiqued. And, you know, within six months of that happening, that's when we met you, Corbett. And that that was that was an amazing experience within itself. You know, we had pitched to a, an investor. And at the time, the investor passed. Uh, I think we had to pitch to him five or six more times before he invested but a true testimony to no just means not right now. But, um, but even though he chose to pass on the invest, investment, he introduced us to you. And, and that's, when we, that's when we started our working relationship and starting our strategy meetings. But just to, just to kind of hone in on your question of when did I catch an entrepreneur bug? I think I've always had it because I've always wanted to excel. I've always wanted to do better and be better than the reality I was presented. I've always wanted to go see the unknown and explore and push it to the limits. And that there's just been many testimonies through my life, whether it's been making it through the sickness and and watching a reality go on without me that I was yanked out of, um, or whether it was making that decision in high school that I didn't want to be that shy kid anymore. And, you know, by the end of college, I'd been recruitment chair for three years, different things like different little microcosm examples like that really showed me that this whole speak things into existence and manifest and thoughts become things 
that that really is true. I didn't have the vocab vocabulary to conceptualize it that way, but I had the bug. I had that, I had that innate intuitive feeling inside that I could be able to do those kind of things. And so in long, that's how I caught the entrepreneur bug and uh, conceptualized that and was able to realize that. I think it, and it also has to do with, you know, your actions, you know, just the, the positive actions that, that you went through that, I mean, it, it, it came off. So, you know, when I first met you, this mutual investor that we, uh, that we know came to me and said, Hey, I, I saw this company, I passed because they're doing, you know, something I think is too mainstream. It's going to be too co- too costly to, to, uh, to prop up and get going. And I was like, you know, I'm still interested. I want to meet these guys. So I met you. And after talking to you, literally after about 15 minutes, you know, I, I really could sense that you were a genuine person and you really had an idea. And it reminded me of myself at that age where you're just going to do whatever it takes to push this idea, even if the idea isn't viable because that idea will go into something else and will continue to move, evolve and move as you get other people involved and, you know, get them on the train. And I thought it was awesome where I, I you know, went to your, your place and you guys had this house. It reminded me of something <laughs> you'd see in, you know, Silicon Valley yeah. where all these guys live together and all you did was focus and work on this company and strategy sessions and you had a big table set up in your dining room and you know it was all about business and you guys had fun too but it was you really wanted to hatch something great and that's what got me uh you know behind you guys and and interested in what you're doing and then we took a trip to new york together and you know we me and you were able to have some deep conversations you know, around entrepreneurialism and, and mindset and, you know, just being positive. And I remember even at some of the lower points, because every startup has that low up and down, you were still so positive about the outcome and where you were going. You were so sure of where you were going, which that was a great indicator that, you know, this person and this team they're going to do what it takes and they're going to go, they're going to figure it out <laughs> down the road. Right. And they're, you know, they're not going to hang it up. So you that call it positivity, I call it delusional optimism. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that that's how it was with me. People called me naive because, you know, I was yeah. like, I'm doing this and that's, you know, you have it in your mind and then that's where you're going. What interests you in the Atlanta scene, you know, the technology scene here? What, what kept you here? Because you guys could have moved to the West Coast. You could have gone to some other areas of the country that were even more innovative and more aggressive on investors. What kept you here? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that the answer is some people like to say they like to take the path less traveled and some see the path less traveled and say, let's go, let's get it and run right down it. Um, For me, Atlanta, you know, this was circa 2016. Atlanta wasn't a tech scene. You know, it had the Atlanta Tech Village, which was somewhat new. Um, But what you saw in Atlanta, and and this actually uh, played a part in in getting the investments, was it's a very different thesis than the investments in Silicon Valley, right? So what I mean by that is in Silicon Valley, you see – you know, you see unicorns pop up because you see VCs willing to put money into something right. that's not immediately offering a return, right? So you see uh, VCs putting into money into apps and apps were just booming at this time. Um, Snapchat had just taken off, but you see, you see that these VCs are putting money into technologies where it's, we need 5 million to 10 million subscribers before we even start to think about how to generate revenue. Whereas the thesis in Atlanta was, okay, you're a SaaS company and you're already doing this much revenue. So with an 8X, um, you know, with an 8X, you know, uh, multiplier, that's what we can value your company at, right? Off your EBITDA. So the thesis was very different and the technology we were building was a very Silicon Valley technology. 
uh, we were making an app, right? So we wanted to build an app that um, this is the this was the shouty one. This was the one that I was telling you we saw at the football game where you could click on a sporting event or you could click on a, a, a music festival or a lifestyle event. And you would be able to see the, all the perspectives of all the people that were there aggregated in a chronological order. And building something like that in Atlanta was very difficult because it's just not in the thesis of Atlanta VCs or investors. So that was probably the hard part of rationalizing staying in Atlanta. But the reason we wanted to stay in Atlanta and the reason I said why I see the path less traveled and I, I start sprinting down that is because I'm from Atlanta. This isn't the best tech scene. This wasn't the best environment for my concept or my team's concept to thrive in, but it's my hometown. It's the city I love the most. It's where I'm from. It's in my blood. And, you know, I, I knew deep down that this is where we wanted to build this company and that we would have an excess of issues and blockers and barriers um, doing that, building that company here. And yet we decided to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that house you were alluding to, you know, we, I always do things kind of opposite, right? Pro quo, like just completely different, right? So the house you were talking about was a big integral part of us staying in Atlanta, but maintaining that Silicon Valley mindset. Right. Does that right. make sense? Yep. And the reason we did that was, you know, my two co-founders were all fraternity brothers of mine. Um, and we we know that we had a fraternity house and the guys who contributed the most to the fraternity were the ones who lived in the fraternity house. And so we decided, all right, well, we just got a hundred thousand dollars. That was our first check. That was our initial funding. Uh, it came from a high net worth individual in Atlanta. Let's take this and let's give it everything we've got because we don't know if we've got another investment check come in. Uh, we certainly don't have any revenue on the horizon because we were pursuing that Silicon business model at first of, we need to get a substantial amount of users before we can even think about ad dollars or revenue opportunities. So if this investment check is all we got coming in right now, we need to really hunker down and, and make this happen. And the only way we knew how to do that was to move into a house together uh, like the fraternity house, except a whole different energy towards it um, and live there and make our lifestyle you know, and keep ourselves within that bubble. And so that's the table in the living room. You know, at one point we had a bunk bed in our living room because we had nine people living with mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you were there for those days, which blows my mind. That's insane. Um, <laughs> we drew, we had, we painted whiteboards on every wall in the basement and had two working tables down there. Um, and the reason we had nine people living with us is because we built a team and paid them with room and board. Um, we let people live with us to be our head of branding, our videographer, our UX designer. So, you know, Atlanta is a beautiful place because it's a perfect mixture of left brain, right brain. You have the perfect mixture of creatives and you've got the perfect mixture of business mindset, logic and emotion. It's so it's a beautiful place to be. It was just getting into technology and that's the positive side but the downside was that it wasn't matured in the technology and it didn't have the thesis that Silicon Valley had in investing, which made our money raising efforts significantly uh, more strenuous than had we been out in the West Coast or even out in Seattle or New York at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 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 but it gave us the opportunity. Um, and so it was a beautiful city to be in. It's our hometown. That's why we did it. And we were able to build a Silicon Valley lifestyle in our little bubble in uh, North, just North of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta. Yeah. Well, that's what I liked about it was, you know, when you think of a startup or, or an early stage company and you're here in Atlanta, usually everybody migrates to Midtown into the tech square area to Atlanta tech village, some of those hubs and they, they do it that way where you stayed on the outskirts in the suburbs and really built your team around this house. And it was more of a a Silicon Valley type approach where there's a lot of that out there. I never had really seen that here. So that's what created this whole different, because 
even when you have an office in Midtown, let's say, you know, you have office hours and then you usually leave, but you're there 24 seven amongst that environment, which I'm, I firmly believe innovation is created that way is going to things will take a different approach and a different look if you stay in that environment long enough. Mm-hmm. And as you went along, you know, your model changed, you were able to evolve it into something more, which was, you know, a, a sector that is hot, red hot with, uh, you know, with streaming and all of that. And that sort of brings me to this whole idea of streaming. Give me your thoughts on that and what interests you on the opportunities going forward within the streaming space? No, it's a, uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, and just to, just to close up on that last point real quick, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I really do agree with that. And I didn't want to chase the hype of the Atlanta tech village or anything like, or an incubator like that. Um, they're great resources. They really are. I found some developers from there, but you know, they say your best ideas happen sometimes on the toilet or in the shower. And in a macro <laughs> sense, we didn't want to miss any of those opportunities. So and, and that 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 kind of leads me into where streaming came from. And, you know, streaming was something we had thought about often, um, kind of, but not really. And the reason I say that is because when we rolled out our app, we rolled out our app and it was static content. Static means non-dynamic, which means it caches, um, which is still still pictures and six second pre-recorded videos. I think we went up to 12 second pre-recorded videos. And within two months of rolling out our app, Snapchat rolled out the exact same feature set. Um, a little interesting, interestingly enough, uh, their categories and colors of their categories were identical to ours, which was fascinating to us. But nonetheless, it kind of deterred our whole business model. And it's like, how do we, how do we even go up against a giant like a Snap right now or Snapchat at the time? And uh Corbett, I think actually that's when that's when you first really pushed streaming uh, into into our our reality. And what we wanted to do was, you know, we were looking at streaming. I think you had just worked with a stream company mm-hmm. um, out in Europe, and you had you had some interesting concepts and interesting perspectives on where you thought this market was going at a time where we were looking to make have to make a pivot, and. That's what that's what brought us into the streaming space was, okay, well, we now have a unique concept that nobody's offering in live streaming. I mean, this is still the very, you know, we're in the bottom of the first inning of streaming right now. Right. And so to talk about this in 2016, you know, where I can say we're right on time with our technology right now, it's the confluence of perfect factors, uh, perfect market condition. At that time, the technology wasn't there. People didn't really know the use cases for live streaming or streaming in general. Um, cord cutter was just becoming a term. It was a it was a little ahead of its time, but it was something that we felt was going to be the next iteration of content. It was more flexible. It was more dynamic. It was cheaper, uh, and it opened the doors for your everyday person to be able to broadcast. And so what our concept was, was we, we called it multi-view streaming. It had that same concept of watching perspectives from people who were in the atmosphere, but instead of submitting pictures or video content, you would go live and we would be able to, whether you had a mobile device or a camera, we would be able to stitch all those camera perspectives together in real time and let the viewer pick their perspective. Let the viewer, you know, back to that example of the football game, we wanted to let the we wanted to see what was it like in Alabama if we were out there we if we were a spirit at the national championship floating around what would we be able to see what would we want to see and so we we decided to keep that same concept and and pursued that with live streaming and that's how I got into the streaming space and now where the streaming space is at I mean it's incredible you know one of the things that I like to talk about you know how how do you think about the difference between streaming and cable or satellite. Well, for me, you know, one example I like to give is think about American Idol, right? So if you watch American Idol, where it is today, um, 
and you want to vote during the live show, you have to call a phone number. What streaming is going to open the door for is streaming is going to enable you to select your vote as an overlay over the video. And so it, it introduces two-way communication in a native experience, whereas you would need multiple technologies to be able to participate in live content. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, just your everyday person being able to broadcast or the new, uh, the new thing is sports betting since the Supreme court approved that and federally in 2018 and gave it to the decision of the States. We're seeing more and more States hop on board with legalizing gambling um, in this capacity and, and sports betting, you know, you see Fubo TV, who's one of the premier live sports streaming services. Um, they just acquired a sports book. You're, you're going to start seeing a lot more, uh, pieces like this that offer micro transactions in interactive content and mm -hmm. interactive content. And that's what, that's what streaming has done. And that's where streaming is going. You know, the other examples include people getting rid of cable and satellite for Netflix, Hulu, HBO max, Peacock, uh, Paramount plus discovery plus you, you're starting to see that that's the cord cutting. Um, and then, you know, obviously your zoom and, and the pandemic really pushed, live streaming to the forefront. Everyone kind of knew what it was and used it pre-pandemic. But once the pandemic hit, you knew, okay, I use Twitch for this. I use Zoom for this. I use Facebook Live or Instagram Live for this. And your your use cases of live streaming really started to take a hold into people's and embed themselves into people's consciousness of, and, and them knowing what platforms to use and how to use them. And so even with that, accelerated push of the pandemic we're still at the bottom of the first inning in streaming and uh it's going to be amazing to see where where this industry and where this technology goes from here yeah no i agree and i, I think you know also with once 5g is fully uh being utilized we're going to see another complete change when it comes to streaming in the the, the real capabilities of streaming, you know, with, with 5G, it, it just allows so much more when it comes to live entertainment that's being streamed, just the, the complete, uh, and think of AR, VR, the complete experience. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about entertainment and how 5G is going to really revolutionize that. And imagine like a 3D hologram, uh, yeah taking those types of technologies into 5g where you could be in your home watching we use this example of friends but <laughs> the entire friend's apartment is in the corner of your living room and you're watching them in a three-dimensional uh you know perspective and that is going to be we're going to see things like that come to life and that's amazing with that immersive technology and and it brings streaming to a whole nother level when you're able to actually experience it that way. So that's that's something I'm interested in. You know, ATDC, we've recently launched a 5G vertical. So we're exploring all the different types of technologies that could be developed within that vertical, which is is endless, you know, endless opportunity. Right. And the, the use cases go beyond entertainment for that. I mean, you're yes. talking about military training, you're talking about education, you're talking about being able to go to work without having to go to work. Um, you're talking about, you know, with, with the technology you're talking about just now, you're, you're able to immerse yourself into an experience like VR without having to wear a headset. And the reason that's so fascinating to me is the way your brain records a memory uh, is very interesting. So when you watch a movie, you remember, your brain will remember watching the movie. When you engage in a VR experience, your brain records that experience as if you were in that movie, uh, for lack of better words, right? So right. the way we're going to be able to learn and train is going to be, as, and, and that's why they call it a virtual reality is because the way your brain records it or records the memory is as if you were in that reality, not experiencing or watching that reality. And so to no. be able to stream that kind of content is going to be, it's, it's going to be fascinating and it's going to be, uh, 
it's going to be a big uh, uptick in, in the innovation that we see. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. No, I, I believe that. What are your thoughts around, I've read some articles in Forbes and yeah. in the journal about shopping, utilizing live stream around shopping, sort of like a home shopping network live stream. What are some of your, your, your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think you're going to, you're going to see shopping merged with more experiential type of content. So you're going to, you're going to have like, imagine a, uh, a fashion show with runway models and the model can be walking down uh, the runway and you could click on her dress and purchase it in a native experience. Um, it's live shopping is, is very interesting and it's going to take, you know, the te- as the technology matures, uh, the concepts and the experiences around those will as well. And it all comes back down to the micro transactions. You know, we need to get to a point where the latency of live action to the live video, what we call in the industry is glass to glass is as low as possible because then live shopping takes a whole new, uh, a whole new life. Once you're able to do that, you can have, you know, and I've talked about this with artists um, you know, I've got friends who are A&Rs or um, producers at major labels, and we've talked about putting some live stream experiences together where online shopping, you know, becomes more of a buy into a live experience, kind of like how malls were retail shops and now they're movie theaters and restaurants, but they also have their high, you know, higher tier shops. I think that's what the live streaming shop, live shopping is going to embody. It's going to be mixing the experiential with the retail mm-hmm. and the better the technology gets and the quicker you can make the, and synchronize those micro transactions, the newer ways you can identify um, the ability to, to monetize that, whether it be the collection of data and how you use that data, you know, maybe as maybe a certain, uh, geographical area is able to buy a certain product at a certain time, right? And being able to create that data and have that data synchronized to the video feed is going to be a significant piece of what pushes live stream shopping and other types of microtransactions to the forefront um, and and almost maybe replace, uh, I don't want to say replace, but add add a supplementary uh, option for you to purchase and, uh, engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had a, a, a one guest on already and we talked about the live stream in retail and, uh, how the analytics being produced is allowing retailers, brick and mortar retailers to be able to really know what to have in stock. So, Going forward, they won't have the full line of a particular product. They know what the demo is in their area that buys from that particular store, what type of model or or something like that. So they're able just to have maybe one in stock and you order it or you, you purchase it. And then by the time you get home, that product's on your doorstep. We're yeah, able absolutely. to deliver it to you in a, a 30 minute time frame. So That's with, fascinating. It, it really uh, is. And, you know, that also hits with drone technology and delivery with drone and some of those other things that I'm just so fascinated. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting you brought that piece up because the analytics, you know, I, I've, I like to have an example where um, you, let's say, let's see, uh, YouTube right now, if you run a YouTube ad, they'll say we approximately hit this many eyeballs or this many people clicked on the link or you know, you get an approximated number and the data isn't necessarily that focused. Whereas if you're talking about something like live stream shopping, and I'm, I'm going to go back to a concert example, let's say a big time artist, you know, I'm in Atlanta, let's pick two chains. Let's say two chains is doing a concert and he wants to collect as much data as possible. Well, he can have a, a merch options pop up on screen in like a polling type of manner or in some, or you can have trivia or it it creates, it creates new ways for artists to know what do my fans like? And, you know, it's not saying we think we're hitting this many eyeballs. It's saying your fans, your engaged fans are sitting here and this is what they're telling you they would buy or what they're telling you they would like. And at the end of the day, for someone like an artist 
or for anyone with a brand that that's what it's about. You want that, that kind of data because it'll help guide you and tell you where to go. And I, I know you have several advisory roles within companies and you're working with, with multiple companies, but I know one thing that's interesting that you're doing is you're advising a record label and you're working with people that are uh, trying to monetize their brands, utilizing live stream and different technologies like that. Tell me a little bit about that and, and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I've, I've now what Shouty has turned into is streaming global and streaming global is, uh, you know, we're working to be the premier delivery partner for streaming services, media delivery services. If you stream content, we want to help you deliver with higher performance, more reliably, and at the most cost-effective solution. And so since we've been developing this technology for, you know, you're building this company for the last couple of years, um, since we've pivoted away from Shouty, what we really wanted to do is um, focus on what are the different verticals in which we can help the industry grow. And so this has just been a particular interesting topic for me since, you know, pretty much since the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey and where it's brought me, you know, I, I see people as, as the market on a macro sense gets more excited about it. So do the individual use cases. So, so do the musicians and so do the, uh, broadcasters on who are a smaller level or people uh, who want to roll out streaming services because they have exclusive content. And it's just, you know, if I know, if I know because I've studied and it's pretty much been my life where the market is going, but it's not the crux of my personal business, you know, I want to offer kind of a consultative advice to people who are looking to get into live streaming, you know, from what I'm seeing in the market or from what this company is doing, or based off this article I read, or this conference I attended, this could be a lucrative opportunity for you to connect with your audience in an engaging way. Uh, like you, Corey, like you were just talking about, collect analytics and data in a way that's more refined and and we'll call it bigger data than big data. And I wanted to help share some of that knowledge and and help people because there's that that old adage that when the tide rises, so do all boats. And so I want to help some of these boats rise and evangelize live streaming and streaming technology. And so I, I want to, you know, if I know that we've got one of the, the best backend for delivery of live stream technology, I want to help others create some incredible front end experiences. That's awesome. That's, you know, lending your expertise to that, is in a cutting edge industry and there's still so much that you can educate people on and, you know, organizations on when it comes to getting them up to speed with all the, the possibilities with, uh, with streaming and, you know, all the different technologies associated. Yeah. And one day holographic streaming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me about how do you avoid burnout? Cause you're, you go on, you fire all cylinders what do you do to uh, help to sort of get your mind at rest when you're uh, having some downtime? You know, it's, it's a good question. I think that the first thing I would say is it's not avoiding burnout. It's dealing with it or it's not, it's cause, cause the way, the reason I say that, right. Is if you look at an EKG or how a wave function oscillates, it's got its peaks and valleys. And I think it would be naive of me to say that I can be happy or be good all the time. It just isn't, it isn't, that's not realistic, right? So I think the way I oscillate, like, and I hit those peaks and valleys is what I want to do is I'm not stoic. I don't want to be stoic in life. I think I'm, I'm missing out on a lot if I, if I embody a stoic kind of personality, but what I do want to do is I don't want my highs to be too high and I don't want my lows to be too low to where my life is as volatile as cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so what I do is, and I think this is, this is it is I stay humble at my highs and I stay high at my lows and it kind of helps me smoothly oscillate through life. And burnout is a, is a, 
a small example, another microcosm example of that. And I think it's, you know, when, when the good happens, yeah, celebrate your wins, you know, don't go on, a, you know, a drinking bender, like experience celebrating those wins or don't spend all your money celebrating those wins and don't even celebrate them too much because at the end of the day, you know, I had a basketball coach. If, if I shot the ball and scored and left my hand up, I'd get benched. And it's just like, you know, that's, that's an early example of that, but you, you don't avoid the bad in life and you don't avoid burnout. You deal with it and you push and you keep going. And I think where it's what the way I'll put it is this Corbett, when motivation fails, you have, you have only self-discipline to rely on. And so, yeah, you're going to feel burnout. You're going to feel negative uh, frequencies or lower vibration emotions. It's just going to happen and but how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it when the mo- motivation of something wears off, when the excitement wears off? You're gonna just stop going to the gym. You you just stop working. You just stop doing whatever it is. You know, I read this book called Principles by an investor named Ray Dalio. Oh yeah, great book. Started a hedge fund in the early years of his life, between 14 and 18, and has remained the the head of that fund. And by 4X, it's the largest privately held hedge fund in the world. And he's in his 50s or 60s now. And, um, you know, one thing he said is find your point on the spectrum of save your life to impact the world. And by any means necessary, maintain your point, maintain your point on that spectrum. And that's just kind of how I think about it. Like, I know, I know the motivation is going to wear off. I know the excitement is going to wear off, but can you be self-disciplined enough to, to make it through? Can you fall back on your self-discipline and your routine? And, and then it, there's even, you could even break that down further. Okay. Well then if I fall back onto myself, my, my self-discipline, what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like habits and routine. You know, you wake up, you do a certain routine, you prime yourself, you can meditate. I do affirmations. I do gratitude. I try and do the gym as much as I can. Um, that's, you know, I, I'm just being honest. That's not my, that's not my main focus, but it is something that I, I know that if, if I can, if you can't fix your mindset, fix your behavior. If you can't fix your behavior, fix your mindset where one of them fails, the other one will succeed. And so the way to avoid burnout is just know that burnout is inevitable. You're going to get tired. You're going to get fed up with things, but how do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. You're going to fall back on routine and you're going to stay self-disciplined to pushing towards your goal, or are you going to, you know, fall away? You're going to, you know, go indulge in, in big meals or whatever your first choice would be. Right. So there's, there's the A choice and then the B choice. The B choice is going to the gym because you know, it's going to be good for your health where the A choice is not going to the gym because it hurts. The A choice is the choice at surface where the B choice is that next level choice that'll push you to where you want to go. And I think it's about making the B level choice as much as you can, whether you feel like it or not, Mm -hmm. Uh, being able to strive for that, stay disciplined to that and play the long game more than you play the short game. That's, that's good perspective. One last question. What's the future look like for you personally? Well, right now, um, the future, the future looks bright. It always looks bright. That's my delusional optimism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, the future looks bright, right? So mm-hmm. yes, the motivation will fade away, but mindset is still a significant piece of it. You know, you're going to need your self-discipline, but I think even if I'm being self-disciplined, I, I have this delusional optimism that annoys my girlfriend um, and also lets me makes me believe that everything is going to work out how I anticipate it. Um, and most of the time it does work out that way. And so I have that affirmation to fall back on. So in a personal standpoint, um, I'm going to keep falling back on my discipline and my moments of weakness and, um, keep using my, my moments of motivation as, as diesel fuel to, to push to the next level and, and by any means necessary, not letting go. On the technology side, I'm really into cryptocurrency. I'm really into NFTs. NFTs are non, non-fungible tokens. I'm actually an NFT. Uh, well, my girlfriend is an NFT broker for a, a high net worth individual who's a friend of mine. So 
together. We've kind of really been looking into that space. And uh, an NFT is very interesting technology. We'll see where it goes. It could be a bubble. It could be hype, but we're kind of looking into it. We don't, certainly don't want to miss it. Like it could be Bitcoin in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're looking at different use cases of, do you know what NFT is, Corbett? I, I, you know what? Crypto in general, I've, I'm learning more about. NFT, okay. I know just a, a little bit about, but I'm very interested in this space and the opportunity going forward. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really crazy. It's cut it cuts out the middlemen of of a lot of industries. You know, you can you can buy a, a house without going through a mortgage broker. You can license music without having to go through a big uh, publisher house. Sorry, I was look, looking for the word there. Um, it, it's a very interesting way of being able to make transactions for most of them. And then you look at Bitcoin, which is a store of value, um, and the commodities exchange actually declared or declared it a store of value. So it is a store of value and it'll be interesting to see the different use cases of that. But NFTs specifically are very interesting because of what they can do. I'm starting to see musicians put music out as an NFT because it can't be pirated. It can't be stolen and it can't be licensed without being recorded on the blockchain and them receiving their cut. Um, and that happens without any kind of central point of operation. NFTs are really cool. Um, we'll see where that goes. Obviously, you know, streaming is we're in the bottom of the first inning. It's a rocket that's taken off. You're seeing more and more streaming services, more of the world is cord cutting. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see where live shopping goes, where sports betting goes, where microtransactions overlaid on a native live streaming experience where that's all going to go because you think of cable and and satellite and how we consume media of the past and it was one way and now we're going into two-way communication at scale Mm -hmm. so right now live video is the first iteration of that then we're going to see the vr and the ar and the holographic you know sit in the room with ross from friends (laughs) we're going to see that and it's going to be potentially even be able to interact towards you to where you're the seventh friend Mm -hmm. and um it'll be interesting to see where that goes but that's that's kind of long term um but for the near term future Mm -hmm. i think we're going to see a lot more traditional tv uh networks and channels move towards streaming um individuals are going to start streaming more and more and uh, as the technology evolves, so will the use cases. And then the last thing that I see in the future is um, I have a podcast and a, a networking group called Hustle Up. And right now we're the largest uh, entrepreneurial networking group in Atlanta. Um, we hold, we hold, we were holding monthly events. We actually just held our last one a couple months ago um, at the Westside Cultural Arts Center. We've had over 200 people to our last two events. I think our last one was 225 people. And we've never had less than 100 people. And we're consistently bringing out people that are entrepreneurial mindsetted, focused on positivity and, and want to take control of their, their own, own lives. And uh, that's kind of the slogan of Hustle Up is uh, live a life by design. And that's, yeah, and that's what we're focusing on. So, you know, we have our podcast, which you can see at HSTLUP. Um, and then we've got our monthly events and Corbett, I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime or have yeah. you come get an event. I mean, we're right in your backyard, right in West Midtown. And, um, you know, each, each event does, we do it a little bit bigger and, and we bring in speakers and you walk into the atmosphere and it's like, you're at a bar or like, kind of like you're going to a, a low key, uh, fancy club. And then you walk in and it's like the, the cons, the content is set up as if you're at a concert, but instead of having openers and headliners that perform music, your openers and headliners are talking about how to build e-commerce businesses, how to, how to manage virtual assistants, how to be positive in times of uncertainty. Um, we even did one on relationships called love, sex and relationships in the age of information. You know, it's uh, they call us the hook, the hookup culture. What does that mean? And how can you avoid that? If you want to be with a significant other, how do you go through the noise so what we want to do is bring people together all on a similar journey and in the capacities of relationship, relationships, fitness, mindset, and business, 
uh, navigate those waters together. That's and bring the whole city out doing it. <laughs> that, that's I've I've followed you on uh, on LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram and some of the other social networks and have seen some of the events. Amazing! Would love to be involved. So let me know, man. I'm there on the next one. Yeah, man. And uh, you know, big thank you to you for the influence you played in my life. You know, you've introduced me to some pivotal people. You introduced me. Uh, well, you really pushed to the to the forefront of of my reality. Uh, the technology in which what came to me at a at a at a pivotal moment of my life, a pivotal pivot of our company's life, and uh, is a is a is a significant reason of of why we're here today and um, where our technology is at and where I'm at on my entrepreneurial journey. So I uh, I thank you and appreciate you for your support and your ideas. Um, pretty much since day one of my entrepreneurial journey. Thank you, man. It's been. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed your friendship. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot more to come in the future. And I love our conversations. You know, I get a lot out of, you know, even a few months ago, me and you walked around your neighborhood and, you know, drank coffee and, and walked the sidewalks and just talking innovation, you know, that kind of stuff I love. And it's, uh, the conversations are very insightful. I get a lot out of them. Likewise, man. Likewise. And we'll have many more of them. Many, many more. And uh, it's, a, it's a bright future for innovation. Um, it's a bright future for Atlanta on the creative side, on the technology side, on the business side. We're in a beautiful city with some beautiful energy at the perfect time. Well, man, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back, dig deeper into cryptocurrency and, and some of those other topics. But again, thank you for, uh, for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. If anyone wants to get in touch, Instagram at J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-H-E-S-S-I-N-G, Jonathan Hessing or at H-S-T-L-U-P. Other than that, man, I, I really do appreciate it, Corbin. It's been great to sit down and talk to you for an hour. And let's definitely go walking on the belt line again. Okay. I like it. Thanks, man.